here has ever read? Oh, first let me start with read. Read uh, John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. Oh, quite a few hands. Okay, very good. Um, now, who is familiar with John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart? Okay, even better. Good. All right. Uh, today is Sunday. It is April the 18th, 2010. And deriving from John Eldridge's book, uh, Fathered by God, uh, the title of today's message is going to be The Making of a Man. Uh, I, I was uniquely blessed years ago, about four years ago, when my wife bought me the book uh, Wild at Heart. And uh, through a series of, you know, word of mouth they'd gotten out, um, I, as I read it, it really did provide a good roadmap or aerial view of what goes on inside of a man's heart, why he is the way that he is. And there's three things I think he pointed out. One was uh, he looks for adventure. That's the heart inside the center and core of every single man. Uh, secondly, he looks to rescue the damsel, rescue the lady. And what was the third one? Adventure. Adventure was the first one. Adventure, win a battle. Win a battle. Win a battle. That's a key one. So as he goes through those three elements of seeking adventure, winning a battle, and rescuing a damsel, he, in one chapter he focuses on the progression or initiations of a man from boyhood all the way until he passes. And so what he did, he took that one chapter and expounded on it in an entirely different book. And it's been an absolute blessing. I love it. So first we're going to start with this making of a man. But uh, real quick, uh, Gabriel, stand up. Now, Gabriel, how old are you? Uh, nine. You're nine years old. Okay. Um, tell me one thing, like a major thing that you want to do whenever you grow up. Missions work in dangerous or safe countries? Doesn't really matter. <laughs> dangerous. dangerous, he said dangerous. <laughs> Very good, sit back down. Well, just like a, a tree, it begins as a small seed. And what it is will not be what it eventually will become. That's one of the reasons why we named our preschool uh, uh, the mustard seed. Back in club. It's, it's also a preschool, but we call them our mustard seeds. They are our little must, mu mustard seeds. I say that very carefully. So, <laughs> they begin as something unique and small, but grow into a huge tree that provides shade, protection, and food. It is the exact same for the making of a man. What begins as something small, embryonic, inside of a womb eventually grows into a, a kingdom, into a king, eventually into a stage. So a sage, not a stage. So we have a boy. Now the progression it goes through, we have a boy, then we go to a cowboy. Where's my cowboy at? Did he go in the back? There he is. You put on your hat. Cody. There we go. Delicious. All right, stand up, Cody. Come up here. Now, Cody is a cowboy. He looks like one. But how old are you, Cody? About 19. About 19, okay. So from the ages of about 12 until the mid-20s, every man goes through 
an adventure-seeking stage. This is a cowboy stage. And as you can tell by his hat and how dirty and rough it is, he has found several adventures. And much more with the beard to grow longer. <laughs> Sit back down. Thank you. From a cowboy, you move into a warrior. Someone with perspective, a cause to fight for. Mr. Gabriel Mays, would you stand up? Come up here. Now, like all good Polynesian warriors, you get tattoos. <laughs> Gabe, how old are you? 27 years old. 27 years old. It's about this time that what God begins to do is take a young man that was seeking adventure primarily in his life and begins to give purpose for the sake of others. Tell us what you moved to Arkansas to go do. I went to go to Arkansas to minister to children inside of hospitals. So we're part of Big Love Cancer Care there now. And it's going pretty good so far. Awesome. Yep. It's an adventure? Yes. And But it's also with a function and a purpose. That's right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Next. Uh, he's actually in the back booth. Mr. Darren, if you could come down front, please. You're the next contestant on The Father by God is Right. <laughs> now next... This is the supreme. I have no adornments for you, but you just embody it. Next from a warrior is a lover. Not my lover. A lover. Now, one of the things that... We're very familiar with each other. Notice I just didn't pick guest. So what a warrior becomes is that after he succeeded in accomplishing and conquering many battles, a warrior has to have the ability to stop and admire the beauty. Otherwise, all a warrior becomes is about the battle. The battle defines who he is. But having the ability to stop with all the chaos surrounding them and admire what God is doing. Now, it starts in the home. Just as a warrior does, just as a cowboy does, and just as a boy does. All of this centers within the home. That's the stage that you practice on. And then it goes out from there. So what he's able to do at home is stop from accomplishing the successes at work. Stop from accomplishing the successes in ministry and pause and look at what God is doing in his family and admire the beauty in front of him. Thank you, sir. And next is the place that we see typically as the pinnacle, the top of the mountain to ever get to and stay. Brother Abel, would you come down front? <laughs> Now, Brother Abel is, uh, is from several descents, but one unknowingly till recently. He, uh, well, without DNA confirmation, but by tradition in his heritage, uh, they have a lot of Jewish traditions in his background. We went to a place called Garcia's Pharmacy, and I noticed this little spin thing that had four different sides. And it was, it was a top that would spin. But it had uh, different letters, uh, uh, Spanish letters on them. And I said, 
hey, but what is this? He said, oh, that's a toca? No, trompo. Trompo. And they, he said every year around holiday time, they would break it out and play, and they told me how they played. I said, my word, that's dreidel. Sephardic Jews, meaning Spanish-derived Jews, came to South America and Mexico and settled. They were secretly hiding their Judaism. So they named it a different name, but they still practiced the same culinary traditions as well as the holiday traditions. Our king is derived from a Jewish descent. We join in him in his culture and see how he spoke through his culture. That stage is always the pinnacle that we shoot for is to be God's set-apart king. Once you've uh, gone through the, the boyhood initiation of having the heart of a warrior but learning how to act on it, then moving into a cowboy seeking adventure, real adventure, then progressing into a warrior having an adventure with a purpose and a focus for someone else's benefit, then stopping to pause and see the beauty, it's then and only then that you're able to sit back and reign and manage. A lot of times, and I can guarantee you, if I asked for hands in this room, and I don't want to see them, to raise who was put in this position when they were a boy? Who was put in this position of having to be a king before they were initiated to all the other phases? As a cowboy, full of adventure, seeking thrills, and going directly into being responsible of their household. You see that, Whenever you have to be prematurely initiated into the next place as a man, it wounds you. It stunts your growth. It morphs your growth as a man. A lot of times when I look back at my, or look at my current insecurities, my fears, and yes, ladies, men have fears. It's expressed differently. But I look at the centerpiece of my fears and I realize I missed some severe steps in being initiated as a man. My home was my, my world at five years old. I see it now with my own girls. And what happened at five years old is that my home came to an end. What that communicated to me was an answer I did not want. Because every single one of these stages, even to the last one, I'm not done, has the center question. Ladies, if you want to know what is driving this man for whatever it is, in anger and fear and something good or something bad, is the man asks himself constantly from birth, do I have what it takes? Am I good enough to accomplish what's in front of me? Mr. Fred, could you come stand for a minute? Honestly, our culture promotes reaching the pinnacle of being a king. But where the pinnacle really lies, and oftentimes goes overlooked, is a sage. Now, a sage is no longer reigning and ruling, but he is there to graciously and mercifully offer his wisdom. It's not wisdom attained by books. It's wisdom attained by experience. Now, Mr. Fred, by your trade, 
you graduated Mississippi State? I'm sorry. What? Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. I know. It's SEC, kind of, anyway. <laughs> but you graduated from there and became? An engineer. And then worked for how many years as an engineer? Oh, 42, 3. During those 42 or 43 years, how much experience did you gain? <laughs> Quite a bit. Was it anything that college could sum up in the four years? No. Um, college was just a start. College was just a start. In my upbringing, I saw college as the initiation into being a sage of a topic. Just the opposite. Yeah, exactly. Yes, as the older ones chuckle and laugh. It's like saying when I get out of elementary school, I'm ready to have my own job. Not so. What goes overlooked is the wisdom and experience that God has developed over long periods of time of, ex of uh, weathering storms, overcoming difficulties. Because what a book cannot teach you is how to keep in constant pace with chaos, with a changing and shifting matter. And Fred eventually, if I'm not mistaken, became the senior engineer of his department. Is that correct? Well, I became a manager. A manager. He oversaw and he ruled for a certain period of time. But now, he offers his wisdom. And what it's our job as men, all stages below that point, is to seek his wisdom. Because a lot of times, sages go unsought. They go unnoticed. <clears throat> they will not charge their way in like a warrior. They will not barge in like a cowboy and demand that their voice be heard. They are like a solemn column of granite, just there as a support. It's up to us to seek out his wisdom. Thank you, Mr. Fred. All right, going back to boyhood. So does everybody have the stages now? Yes. Say them with me. Boy. Very good. You got a pen and paper? It would be very worthwhile writing that down. Alright, game. Let's do this. Oh, it's not loaded. I promise. Gabe, is this real? Yes. How do you know it's real? Papa came into my brother and said, don't shoot at yourself. <laughs> <laughs> don't shoot at yourself. Very good. Hold that for me. Now you tell me, whenever you have that and when you've taken it out of your dad's cabinet. It wasn't my dad's, it's my brother's. Oh, so you took it out of your brother's cabinet. It's on film. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Turn to face, everybody. When you hold that in your hand, it weighs just about as much as you do, right? Close. <laughs> do you feel... Like you could go and conquer something with that? Yes. If you have some bullets, right? Yes. Yes. You feel like you could just rise up and just take out a whole army of them? Yes, yes, I do. Awesome. <laughs> okay, you can hold that and go sit back down. I was five years old and went to my first trip to what we call the Baton Rouge State Fair. And in the Baton Rouge State Fair, there's all these little games you can play, you know, the, the booths 
where they eat your money and you get a small prize. But somehow or another, I was able to win a necklace. And on that necklace, I had uh, a cowboy on a, a bucking a bull with his arms back like this. And similar to what Gabe just described, how does that feel to be in your hands? That's a symbol of power. With the right elements, what Gabriel had in his hands was something that can kill and bring reality to a, a halt very quick. But disarmed and protected, that's a source of empowerment for him. Little boys go around and will more than likely have a vocabulary of sounds more than they do actual words. The writer of Gerald McBoingboing probably had one or two boys. Because all he says is sounds. I have all little girls. Just the opposite. The sounds they make resemble crying. <laughs> but they, they fill in the other time with lots of words. So as a little boy at five years old, I got this, this uh, necklace with the cowboy and the bull. And all of a sudden, I felt like a cloak of authority would just sat on my shoulders. And I was now a warrior. Everything in me wanted to challenge every giant out there. And the first one in my way was my brother. <laughs> he was six years older than me. And the, the difference in stature from... 5 to 11 is enormous. Not to mention the kind of person that he was. He liked to entertain, and I was his entertainment. <laughs> well, I had this necklace on, and all of a sudden I felt big and bad. And it was one week night before school, and, uh, we're, you know, do you and uh, Judah wrestle? All the time. It's absolutely normal and perfect for them to do that. Not to hurt each other, but to come very close. <laughs> but it's a testing. It's that warrior's heart in both of them trying to gain a reference of who they are. Once again, that question, do I have what it takes? And when I saw that, when I had that pendulum on, I looked at my brother and I said, oh yeah, I got you now. I got what it takes. <laughs> So we start wrestling. He said, you think you got, because you have that necklace on, you big and bad? I said, oh yeah, I'll take you. <laughs> he said, I'll show you. Well, five minutes later, he's pinned me down and spit in my mouth. <laughs> he waited until I cried, mouth wide open, and just blah. <laughs> my hopes and dreams of an empowering pendulum or pendant came crashing down. I ripped it off my neck that night and threw it in the garbage. <laughs> But as a boy, one thing my father did exceptionally well is that he provided a protected environment for me to explore and have adventure. This is no different than with my small ones. I put them in a playpen type area with toys that will teach them how to, to take on the realities themselves. Where did God place Adam and Eve when he first created them? The garden. The garden a protected environment. But what happened was, when they decided to note good from evil on their own, they decided to mature themselves rather than seeking how God would mature them. They were now taken out of that protected environment and put into stark reality. Whenever I was a young boy at five years old, and in similar fashion, that pendant no longer had source of power enabling me, enabled to answer that question to me, do I have what it takes? 
my home came to a close. The first Christmas that I had at six years old was in an apartment. All my life I've been raised in one home. And now it's not just we were in a different place. I did not feel that protected environment around me. And it wounded me. It scarred me. From that point on, I, I hated Christmas. The gifts that I got, they no longer had the substance or value to me. And I didn't want them. Now, if it was something big and cost lots of money, yes, it would last for a day or two. But I would grow rapidly disgusted with it because it brought back to my memory every single time of what I was missing and longed for. Everyone's house that I ran to after school to go play at, every single home was a complete home. And I did not realize that until I was in my 20s. I looked back and I said, every single friend, best friend I had, that I craved to spend time at their house was because they had a home. I felt that protected environment. Now, one, the thing that my parents did very well is that they provided at least a protected uh, cooperation between each other. I, I, got, I had r remarks from friends all the time that said, your mom and dad don't fight. I said, no. You know, they don't call each other names or pass messages from you to the other person? I said, no. I said, they get along absolutely fine. In fact, there's, if there's ever a problem with me or my brother, and more likely my brother than me, <laughs> they would have no problem sitting down over a cup of coffee and discussing how to handle what was going on with us. So I, they still provided the best protection that they could but it doesn't replace the same. Now, adultery means awful tearing. It's not just, it's not just the, the physical act. But what happened was is that my home, my protected environment, was ripped to shreds. Here's the saving grace. What happened to me at five years old laid a seed of hunger and desire that would raise up at 16 and make me cry out for Jesus. It forced me to come to the Lord because I realized the one single verse that was the centerpiece of me getting saved and is my go-to every single time is that Jesus said, I will never leave you nor will I forsake you. Because the wounds on my heart, the wounds in my past echoed that you would be left. You would be forsaken. There's nobody here to protect you and what you're to do. Now, as I graduated into the, the cowboy stage, I graduated with a fear, an immense fear, that I did not have what it takes. Because what was instilled in me as a boy is that there's nobody here to watch out for you. And even though my mom did the best she could, my dad did the best that he could, I still needed that home to grow in. As my fears rose, I noticed that my personality changed. I, I was a vibrant, excited little kid. And I would want to take on challenges. I'd bring my BB gun in the woods and shoot everything in sight. Con conquering the world in my heart. But where it left me was I second-guessed every decision I ever made. I was constantly reminded, are you sure? Is that really going to work out? Can I trust this.
Can I trust this person? Can I trust this event? I will let my heart go halfway and then pull back about, you know, to a quarter of a distance of trusting. My parents individually, yes, I absolutely trusted. But I was always reserved. My wife can testify now that even to this day, I do not get excited very easily. Some of that is just my personality being chill. <laughs> Saw that? <laughs> the other is, I do not want to make myself vulnerable to be excited about something that will disappoint me once it fails. And that started at five years old. I've seen other families where little girls were like little wild cults, just jumping and full of energy. The, the world was at their, their feet. Everything was complete. But a divorce happened, and I saw their spirit break. From that point forward, discipline problems, personality problems, 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 problems. And it's not like it's beyond repair, recovery. But the proper tools to perform surgery on that heart was not being used. It was being neglected. If I just don't pay attention to what's going on and deal with just the surface problems, then it'll all go away. The initiation of manhood, if it's ever missing in your life, has got to be gone back. You've got to go back and pursue what's missing. That doesn't mean you move back in with your parents and let them fix you dinners and you play Xbox. What that means is that you search your heart for what element is in there. What's the source of your fear? What's the source of your insecurity? And attack it. Now, some personalities will respond to being abandoned and orphaned in a way with taking it all on their own. I will grab life by the horns. I will make it happen. Nobody else is going to do it for me. That's the way my brother responded. I am my own man. What I did, I said, hear no evil, see no evil. I will stick my head in the sand and hope it all goes away. I became extremely passive. To the point where literally, I went throughout middle school and high school never getting in a fight. And not to say that you should, but because of my size, people always challenged me. And my first response was a joke. It saved me in some regards. But the core issue was I did not think I had what it takes to stand up to a confrontation. The one, now moving into to the cowboy stage, the one area I began to, to find where I did have what it takes was when I began to play football in seventh grade. Now, we've seen seventh graders play football, and it's just, you know, a bunch of little Q-tips running around and falling down the ground. <laughs> but that was, that was a challenge for me. My brother had played football. And when your brother is six years older than you, I mean, that's just the, the stuff. I mean, that's be not just the, the grade above you, because that's cool. This is super, super cool and attainable. So I went out to go play football. Actually, let me back up. I went out at eight years old. I was almost twice the size of every kid out there in Pee Wee. In fact, they were looking to bump me up even though my age didn't match, but my weight and size did. But I began to get sick to the stomach when we were doing the trials and, test, and testing or tryouts for the football team. I almost threw up because I was so nervous 
And it was that same question echoing inside of me. I don't think I have what it takes. I don't think I'm good enough. This is going to be too hard. And I melted and I quit at eight years old. In seventh grade, I said, you know what? I'm going to try this again. So I went out and there was more peer pressure. My friends when my classes were playing, I like, man, come on. So I did. And I was hesitant. And just like my personality of being passive, I did the exact same thing on football. No, stand up, Nolan. You guys have watched plenty of NFL and college football. There was a man approaching me, and I would go to hit him, and I'd just go, uh. <laughs> and I would get creamed every single time. And on the inside, you sit back there. On the inside, I'm thinking, man, I'll never be any good with this. But God knew the bright buttons to push on me. Because there was this one guy who was kind of a jerk. We'll leave him unnamed. <laughs> Southeast Middle, 1984. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> he hit me. And he hit me so hard, the pain went from my head down to my toe. And it's like that warrior heart in me was shook. And next thing you know, it came alive. And I said, oh, I got back to that first place of being five years old and having that bull rider on my neck. And I said, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> and this is at school and it's okay and I won't get suspended. <laughs> I felt when I put on that helmet, authority. And I took full advantage of it. Now, myself and probably Sydney are genetically designed a certain way where it looks like we carry a little bit of fluff on the outside, but we have very dense cores where we carry a lot of fat on the inside, and then it pushes it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I noticed that when I got mad and I went and next the next play during practice, I hit him and I hurt him, and it felt awesome. <laughs> I felt this ability rise up inside of me. It's like, yes, I can. Yes, I can. From that point forward in middle school, by eighth grade, I was the king of the, of the football field. I felt like I could put my head down and ram my forehead in anybody, and it will hurt them more than it hurt me. I'll stand up first. Went to the next level of going into high school. I walked up to the field during two-a-days because I was transferring. And from about 150 or 200 yards, I could hear them hitting as if I were standing five feet away. My heart dropped again. And I said, oh my God, I am in trouble. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. It's going to get on the roller coaster ride and it's tick, tick, ticking up the track. And so I put on the pads, and once again, I was back at that stage. Now, mind you, my dad was there, in a sense, he would come to every game. And I could hear him holler over the entire crowd, and it embarrassed me so bad. <laughs> but I, on the inside, I loved it. But what I didn't have is somebody in the home to say, yes, son, you can. This is what you do. This is how you hit. I see this inside of you. Now, let me hit the pause button real quick. Ladies, I'm talking about men, but can y'all find some similarities to your life? Can you feel that same thing at work in you? Play. So, 
when I got to that, that point, almost the identical thing happened in high school than it did in middle school. Is that I got to the point where I was hesitant. The coach wasn't sure if he was going to leave me on the team or cut me. And somebody hit me that hurt me. They hit me. In fact, I still got the scar now. Uh, it actually moved down here. But <laughs> there is a deep cut that went right above my funny bone and on that edge of the elbow. And his face mask had parts of the plastic missing from a previous hit, and it was bare metal. And when he hit me, I did like this. His helmet dug into that bone and chipped it up. And I just went, <laughs> ow! Well, I said, man, that really hurts. I gotta, I gotta step this game up, but uh, is this what this football in high school is gonna be? It's nothing but pain? Yes, but it's also fun. <laughs> the very next play, they did the exact same play. They came right back at me. The same guy with the same corner of his face mask hit me in the exact same spot. And I, it, it hit that go button again. That warrior's heart came alive. I, we had ended our little session, and we got to go practice something else down the field. And I remember I'm just, uh, I start shaking when I get mad. And I was shaking and tears were coming down my face of, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> he didn't mean to. He was doing what he was supposed to do. But it hit that warrior button. It's time to get up. And cowboy version of let's go seek adventure. Saddle up your horses. <laughs> so we come to the next play. And he is approaching. He's running the ball. And with all of my might, I put my face into his chest picks him up off the ground, his feet come from underneath him, and gives him whiplash in his neck that he still suffers with today. Now, it wasn't anything great about me, but what I'm saying is that my heart, my heart wanted to make war. It wanted to combat and prove I did have what it takes. And throughout the remainder of my high school year, I had the opportunity to express that. Now, mothers, it's absolutely natural to provide a merciful and tender touch to your son's lives. But if you keep them within that protected environment of just exploring adventure, but never getting to taste the reality of adventure, still somewhat protected, but willing to let them fall on their face, willing to let your son break a bone in, in, in high school football, you are emasculating them. You're taking away the very heart that God is trying to form inside of them. Every man needs that ability to rise up when need be as a warrior and fight for a cause. I've met too many men in church and out that do not possess that ability unless extremely provoked. And sometimes not even that. Ladies, are y'all attracted to a man who will not fight for you? No. I had in my mind in high school that if I was sweeter, if I was nicer, if I was just a better good guy and never caused any chaos whatsoever, that I could win the girl of my dreams. But it was a sad awakening that as time went by, I realized this is not what a woman's heart longs for. She longs to be protected by her father, provided for, comforted. And you cannot do that as a husband. You cannot do that even as a friend by having a dominantly passive nature. Now, granted, I, what I was doing, I was averting myself to becoming like what 
made my home come to an end. I thought that if I ran as far away from anger, I could avoid what happened in my own home. I learned very quick when I got married that you cannot, you cannot avoid controversy. It will do one or two things. It will do two things that I know of right off the hand. You will lose respect. Number two, you will leave problem areas in your marriage untreated and they will only fester and they will only grow. That what God did with me through my beautiful bride is that he provided somebody who needed confrontation. She needed passion. She needed to feel. She needed to know, are you here to fight for me? And I will ask you that question by letting you see the drama that's going on inside of me. And that's exactly what I needed. I needed somebody, once again, like in middle school and high school football, they had to hit that button and make me come alive. You can ask Cass now, have I come alive? <laughs> but I... As I was married and, and moved from a cowboy just seeking adventure into being a warrior, I have a family now. I have a cause of something to defend. And as our marriage grew and I grew in that ability to fight and not fight her, what I was fighting for and where she was pushing me to was the ability to learn how to fight my enemy. That now, whenever we're faced with tough decisions, I'm able to make proper judgment and say, in this scenario, I will fight. This one, I don't need to fight. My experience of hardship and confrontation and exploring adventure and bobos on the inside and my emotions enabled me to make right decisions. It is somewhat freaky now where I look at my wife or look at my kids and I can hear myself saying the stupid thing I did 10 years ago and going, mm, that didn't work so well. Uh, let me think about asking this or saying this. And what it provides for my family now is the ability to rule and reign with proper judgment and with proper wisdom. Just like Mr. Fred came up here and he shared college is only the beginning. Knowing the word, what's in the word, is only the beginning. Having experience through the word is what eventually will lead you through all the other initiations of being a man and woman and to the point of being a wise sage. It's through experience. So as I'm uh, progressed as a warrior, and granted, none of these lines are definite. A lot of times you will move into one while still being the other. That's the whole point of making the transition. There's no clear cut or defined line. But I will say, you can look back, I know for myself, and say, I know at this specific time is when it clicked. I know here it clicked for me. That at that point, I was able to answer that question or Jesus answered that question to me. I have what it takes. I have what it takes to be a cowboy. Then I have what it takes to be a warrior. And now, where I'm at, Jesus is teaching me to pause and admire the beauty. He's teaching me that my life is not defined by my battles. The first week that Eric was gone, I literally was uneasy. I felt like um, someone who had been serving tours in a war had just returned home. I don't know what to do without a gun in my hand. Spiritually speaking, 
with Eric gone, God provided this one week of just peace, absolute peace. Now, kid, my first thought is something's wrong. It's quiet. It's too quiet in here. Let me get my gun. I will go search every closet. And I realized about halfway through the week that he's saying, no, dummy, stop. You are not defined by the battle. Matthew Perot and Eric Stevens is not defined by their trips to Matamoros. They're not defined by the miracles that happens within this church. I'm not even defined by the worship that happens and what God does through this place. I'm not even defined solely by being a husband or being a father. Abel laid the groundwork and he had no clue that I was planning to preach on this. But the foundation of who we are is what, Abel? And our names are Matthew, son of God. Matthew, son of God. The key element of understanding what it means to be fathered by God is to recognize your name and who you are. As a boy, that protected nature calls you son of God, calls you beloved. Whenever Joseph's brother, Benjamin, was born, his mom wanted to name him Benoni, son of my suffering. His father stopped and said, no, no, no. You shall name him Benjamin, son of my joy. That's what God has done for you. What life has given you as being a, having lacked a father or father figure, however it may play out, God is the one that is able to take your identification as a son or daughter of suffering and proclaim you as a son or daughter of joy. It's only him that can make all those gaps complete. And what the age of 16, what I was crying out for was, please father me, father me. And Jesus pursued me because he is the personification of every single one of these. He lived them and he is them. Like a lover, he pursued me and paused from the battle to see who I was. Is Matthew good enough for me to pursue? And when I received it on a night a lot similar to this, Jesus filled me in every way. His presence covered me, and I finally felt like for the first time that I was protected. I finally found that love that would never leave me nor forsake me. And I put my trust in it from that day until now and will until the day I die. Every hard circumstance I ever come into, I go back to that boyhood state of saying, I am your beloved son. Will you protect me? Show me what to do. Show me what to do. If you meet a sage who proclaims his own wisdom on his own and professes to not need God, not need anybody else above him to show him what to do, you have not met a sage. You have met an expert in his right mind. You've met what Paul calls a super apostle. They have declared themselves as the beholders of knowledge and wisdom. But going back to the very fundamental element of who we are in Jesus and the problem was when mankind chose for themselves to decide what was right and what was wrong. And God has been trying to get it out of our hands from that point forward. 
that as a boy, as a cowboy, as a warrior, as a lover, as a king, and as a sage, we, every single phase requires you to inquire of the ultimate king. Jesus, what is right and what is wrong? As a cowboy, what adventures do I seek? It's not just a matter of going out and being wild and crazy. But just like Cody and a lot of other young men come with us to Matamoros, they're with us, they're laboring with us, but in some regards, they're under our protective covering. We're mentoring them. But ultimately, he has to operate on the fundamental element of, am I pursuing the adventure that God wants me to pursue? Because you could have the opportunity just to not work at all and just wait for every mission trip that comes along. That's not God's will. In fact, the part of cowboy that has to be ingrained, and I realize this in my own life, is that his life has got to be full of real adventure as well as hard work. Football, in a way, did that for me. We had to sweat and give blood, and I'm not talking about with a van, on the field where you're exhausted and you're spent and you realize you come to the end of you and you're done. And it's, sometimes it's a reward and victory and sometimes there's nothing there left. There's, there's no prize for you to go pick up. Um, uh, I can understand in some of the early years of soccer and football, everybody gets a prize at the end of the game. And that's perfectly fine. That's the protected environment of boyhood. When you get into being a cowboy, there needs to be some weight to it. There needs to be some identification of, no, you didn't meet this mark. Because without clear boundaries as a cowboy, they will just be adventurous until the very end and fall off the cliff. So God provides for these young men boundaries, protective boundaries, but not to the point of constraining the warrior heart inside of them. Everybody turn to Luke. Chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, or uh, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? 27. Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the fire, how much more... Will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father 
knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Having a fundamental perspective that God is our Father, above and beyond what our natural fathers can do. I can do a lot for my girls, but honestly, where they have to come to a point is that they have to learn how to see God as their Father when I am not there. They need to see Him as their ultimate protector and comfort, not me. I am only there to be a represent, representative of God's character and mimic what He's doing because the ultimate is how they will bond to Him. But first they bond to me. Um, going through some of the effects or wounds of not being properly initiated is, you know, how many people have seen the story of a CEO driven, successful, has reached the pinnacle in his life, but isn't satisfied? And what we in our American culture have deemed as a midlife crisis. And it's almost taken now as a medical term, like something to expect. Women go through what happens to them at this age, and men go through midlife crisis. They you know, leave their first wives and get a second one with a nice car and all that stuff. I mean, literally, that's almost a, a, a staple for the American culture. It's not so. What you see in that CEO and that lack or that midlife crisis is an uninitiated man. You see a man that has not found fulfillment, wasn't properly brought from boyhood into cowboy. Because imagine this. I might have to imagine too far. Is at the ages of five, maybe to ten, that your father's no longer in your home. And whether asked to or not, you're forced to position of being the man of the house. You're forced into the position of watching your mom suffer, hearing her cry at night. You don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to comfort. You don't know how to be her warrior for her. Or the ability to stop and pause at the beauty. Or how to rule or reign. But you're forced to. So next thing you know, you're taking care of responsibilities you are not fit for yet. And you carry them, you carry them, you carry them. Eventually you build your heart to the point where only I can make my life my own. Only I can guarantee my own success. And so they're driven, they're driven, they're driven. They eventually get to the point where they accomplish the world in success. But it doesn't satisfy them. Because what they are missing is the very element of God being their father and him initiating the adventure. Him initiating the fulfillment of being a warrior. The times I was able to spend in the woods, building forts, shooting rabbits and squirrels, cooking them over fire, uh, killing snakes in the ditch. Yeah, it, it, in a way it sounds gross to the ladies. That is the heart of every single little boy. It's there. You can say, well, I just do, I live in the city or whatever else. Well, you wanted to go squish rats or whatever else exists in the city. You wanted to go and conquer. So a man that is immediately forced to be a king doesn't have the time and his heart is wounded for not being able to be protectively escorted 
into that next phase. So when he gets older and you feel that pressure of age dictating what you should be, then you begin to conquer other areas trying to recapture what actually happened. Dude ranches throughout Texas are in business because of uninitiated men. We all seen that, uh, that one show with Billy Crystal and all the other guys? City slickers. That is uninitiated men seeking an adventure to help prove who they are and answer that question, do I have what it takes? They hit on a very key and fundamental principle of who men are. And if you can answer that question at each stage, you'll begin to feel this confidence and this ability to function as you should rise up. A cowboy that stays a cowboy and doesn't learn how to fight for a purpose becomes the kind of man that you ladies love to be around but don't want to stay with. They're the kind of men that are full of life and adventure and it's always this next trip and that next trip and we're going to do this grand thing. But they do not have the ability to have solidarity in one place and establish a longevity of endurance in pursuing a goal. They jump, they hop, because that next little adventure doesn't satisfy what they're craving for. What they're craving for is an older man, a warrior, to take them by the hand and say, hey, focus. I need you to look and stay on this tractor pursuing this goal. Stay with this job until you complete this project. If you pursue a woman and you think that she's the one for you, stay with her. Don't just get tired of her and throw her away and go get something else. You know, men become either consumers or contributors. Consumers will just use for their own pleasure. But a warrior is a contributor. He's a protector. He takes the woman as his own, not for his gain, but to provide for her. He will stand in front of harm's way for her benefit. If you, ladies, if you can't find a man that will do that, you need to get rid of the one you got and pray in God to send you one. Because you're missing out. You'll be forever left in the dust, holding your heart and your hands broken and incomplete until the day you die. Men, if you find yourselves as consumers, repent, stop. Whatever area of life it may be in. And I'm speaking to me as well. Your wife or your girlfriend or your family is not there for you to use for you. You are there to provide direction, clarity, purpose, and vision for everyone else. The adventures that you seek are not for your thrill only. It's a byproduct. Doing worship, it's fun, it's exhilarating. There are times when it's powerful. But nine times out of ten, I walk off the stage, I'm numb. I feel like I've never been in God's presence all day. Because I am poured through, not into. I spoke to David and I said, you're going to experience something different when you come up here. Because when you're in a congregation, you get poured into. And you're giving back about maybe 20%. Maybe sometimes 30% you're giving back to the worship environment. And you're receiving, you know, 60 to 70 or 70 to 80%. Worship team, it's just the opposite. You're poured through. So that's why in order to be the right maturity and ability to be on a worship team or in any responsibility that God has given you, it's really, it's that warrior stage. You have to have set in you that you are here primarily for the other person's benefit, not your own. You will step in front of a bullet 
for that other person and not have to think about it. It's sacrifice, sacrifice. Every level of progressing as initiating as a man is a greater requirement of sacrifice. You do not become a man by what you materially possess or materially have conquered. In fact, some men cover over their fears with, with two different versions of, of, of reaction. Extreme arrogance, which is no more than a, a puffed up balloon waiting to be popped. And you can feel it, you can smell it, it reeks. Everybody knows it, but them. Because that's the only tool they know to react right then and there. I will puff myself up, I'll look bigger than I really am because I don't want them to see that I have that question in me unanswered. I really feel like I don't have what it takes. The other is to shrink and cower and just be what, and this is the part where I, I fell into, that Jesus worked me out of, and that the Christian world accepts as norm, is to be a sweet, humble, passive man who's just good and kind, doesn't make waves, doesn't say what's hard. Where would our church be? Where would y'all's lives be right now if Eric was that way? <laughs> not having the ability to look you in the eye and not just say, well, brother, I just think you're, you're maybe missing the bigger picture and not getting God's best for you. <coughs> no, you're wrong. And more than being wrong, you're in sin. You need to repent. We need that. In the same way, you know, you men who maybe can't relate to a woman's heart, a one to be fought for, I bet you can immediately relate to that. Of wanting an older man to grab you by the hand and say, hey, get your stuff together. We need to go this way. What you, and what, if you're not dealing with it properly, you'll either resist that leading and throw it off, or you get to the point where you want that all the time, that validation so much that you never learn to eventually get up on your own two feet and do it for yourself. It's, it's amazing. I can, can look across my life and see myself and see so many others and say, wow, there's so many gaps hanging out there that Jesus wants to fill. He wants to initiate men into the next phase, but they're resisting it. It's our responsibility as men to pursue the lost places of initiation. If you find yourself missing that element, pursue God about it. Begin to pray fast. Show him, what do I need to do? Where you find yourself being fearful and passive, aggressively attack the, passiv the passivity. So if working on a car is daunting to you, other than rebuilding the block, pursue it. Buy your own tools. Work on your own car. Look for the, Adam says amen. <laughs> Look for the opportunity to explore and have adventure. Now you have, occasionally, not every hour, but you can call Adam, you can call me, you can call Eric, say, hey, I'll run into this. Is this how I do it? Well, I'll try this or that. Okay, be right back. Instead of, hey, can you come over and do everything for me? It's the way it should be. That's what we want to provide here. Now, getting in, into more of the, the, the kingship, this is where, after repeated success, after the ability to stand back and see the bigger picture of beauty that exists out there, and you have this dominion, you have this, this king's domain, 
You can always determine a king's character by how his subjects react and act to him. You'll either have a tyrant or you'll have a righteous king. Or you can have a passive king. He won't be a king for that long. And neither will a tyrant. His people will rebel against him. But a balanced king manages his household well. That's what I meant earlier. The household is the training ground for becoming men and women of God. This is how. It's in your home that you practice giving your children that protected environment to explore. It's in your home that you also allow them to grow and experience some real danger. It's in your home that, that a man ventures, ventures away from his parents' home, a man shall leave and cleave, ventures away to explore and have a purpose of vision and, and, and fight. It's as a lover that you're able to stop and somebody in your life tells you, hey, why don't you step back and see what God's doing for you? Don't be so focused on everything that's going wrong with what you're doing. Step back and see what God's doing right. In Deuteronomy, I think, 4, uh, let's turn there. Moses begins to write, really commands a, a king. Maybe further up. I have to look for it later. But in, in Deuteronomy... He, he commands kings to write and copy Deuteronomy for their own keeping. Hey, do you remember where that's at, Gabe? Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17. Of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and those these decrees, and not consider himself better than his brothers, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. If you guys have ever read Judges or First and Second Kings, it is littered with kings who did just the opposite. Power got to their head. They ruled it over their people. They abandoned the laws of God. They turned their back on God. And they used their power to consume rather than to contribute. These were men uninitiated and did not fear God now kind of move to the last phase and obviously this is one I'm not familiar with yet but I long to be is of the sage around I'd say 30, 31 I begin to notice something that my uh, ability to just hop right off of the couch and run and go do something 
was not necessarily as rapid as it used to be. <laughs> I didn't have the ability to go move, you know, four truckloads of furniture, come back and then maybe play tennis or golf. Now some of that's because I didn't exercise, but I mean, I didn't when I was 20 and it worked out just fine for me then. But then begin to creep in this fear of, do I still have what it takes? I know I did earlier, but do I still have that? I'm losing my edge. And I could see it growing or had the possibility of growing into my 40s and 50s where you're looking at younger men that are more competent, more knowledgeable, quicker to the answer than you are, and you feeling incompetent now, useless. The only thing you really have to offer is your experience, and now in the computer world, it may not be applicable. Once again, we're required to go to our Father and let Him initiate us properly past that insecurity of do I have what it takes. And eventually, as a sage, not to spend the life on Golden Pond, but to spend your life as a sage pouring in to kings, pouring in to lovers and warriors and cowboys and, and boys. I know that there's nothing that excites my dad more than to bring my daughters to him and let him visit with them. And it's not just because, yay, there's somebody to play with. It's because they see the opportunity to share willingly and mercifully the wisdom and experience that God has given them. And that when you reach that age of being a sage, you're not useless. In fact, that is the most powerful time that a man is able to have influence on a generation and multiple generations. That Eric, uh, myself, a lot of the men who are in ministry but don't necessarily have a covering covering, our covering are sages. It's also peers. We have a board. We have a council. But what I mean by sage is not just a physical man that has to live right now. It's the works of men. That as we go through and we read the writings of F.F. Bruce, um, Charles Finney, a very good example. I read, I read one of his books in the PC Study Bible. He was the one that pointed out how at that point in time in history, men were, or people were craving the miracles of God. And he said, miracles will never come first. Repentance has to come first. That is the birth point of revival. And I, it was as if I was sitting at his feet and learning his experience. This is something that took years to build inside of him, something that he repeatedly did. Was he, he was a revivalist. So I was able to sit at his feet. So as a sage, the influence, the impact that you have the ability to make is not just right here, right now, but it can span hundreds, if not thousands of years. We were so blessed at the age of 17 or 18, stand inside of a little you know, community clubhouse with 40 people and see a, a small man from Nepal who had been beaten and put in prison several times for the gospel. And we, in similar fashion to uh, John, one of the disciples, when they asked him to stand up, please share a word with us. It was simple but powerful. He said, if there's one thing I want to say to you, this young generation, he said, when pride comes in, the power goes out. 
And it was simple, but his experience gave it weight. His knowledge of how that happens, you could feel in the very words that he said. Even 10, 15, 20 years from now, those of us who heard that word, we still have it printed up and put on our fridge as a daily reminder. That man passed away 10 years ago. But his words to us as a sage still echo and have influence on what we do. So guys, search your heart. Search your heart of where am I uninitiated and seek, be intentional. Seek to be initiated. And that will require humility. You'll have to admit, no, I don't know how to work on a car, but I really want to. I want to experience this. I don't know how to fish. I don't know how to hunt. Or you have kids. I don't know how to handle when this happens with my kids. I don't know how to talk to my wife when she reacts like this. It requires humility. Initiation takes humility. And in some regards, you have to be pruned. You have to have what you've always clung to cut off and go back to square one and let's rebuild. But when we do, it's going to be beautiful. This is a process in, in all regards God's doing through every single one of us. The reason that we came to Jesus was to be pruned. The reason that we came to Jesus because we wanted initiation. And without it, you're left incomplete. You'll get to that old age of where you should be a sage and matured and ripened like a fine wine. But you'll be nothing but vinegar because it wasn't walked through the proper stages. It'll be of no use whatsoever. Oh, what is the, the pinnacle that uh, really our American dream points to? It's work, 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 work roughly for 45 years so that you can glide right into a comfort zone and not have any worries. So really, I spend 45 years sweating and toiling so I can spend maybe 10 not having to worry? That's not the American dream. Oh, no. Let me say this. That is the American dream. That's not God's dream for your life. What did we just read in Luke? His goal is for you not to worry now. To grab his hand and trust. And he will provide everything. And that's what I mean by being able to stop and see the beautiful. Anybody can turn on the news and find bad news. But how many people can look at an earthquake, can look at a volcanic ash you know, rising up and canceling thousands of flights and see something beautiful? And see how our king is ruling and reigning through it. So the fundamental principle in really being a believer is living a life of humility. And that as God gives you more responsibility and he's trying to initiate you, realize it, submit to it, let it happen. Everything in you is going to want to guard that sacred spot and that hurt and that pain. But this one time, somebody failed me. So what? Jesus said he never would. And if he's calling you to move this next step, you need to trust that he can Otherwise, you're going to stay behind. What happened to Israel if they didn't keep up with the fire by night and the cloud by day? They were outside his protective covering. From birth until passing away, God's protective covering is always there for those that seek him. The minute you stop seeking him is the minute you fall outside of that. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be there. I want to be initiated by God. I want to pursue him because he wants to pursue me. And when the day is done, I want to have all the tools that I need to do what he's asked me to do and designed me to do. And more so, 
fulfill that yearning in my heart to be a warrior, to fight. Now stand up. Now Jesus gets most of the credit, or all the credit, for anything good in my life. My wife gets the leftovers. Without the two, it would be impossible. Mighty Jesus, we love you. We submit to your plan. We submit to your initiation of us as men. And Lord God, if our lives and our households are set right first with us, then we will know how to properly mentor the responsibilities that you've given us. Jesus, we submit every part of who we are to you. And we declare you as Lord, owner, ruler, and controller. We love you, Jesus. And once again, on Eric and Judah's behalf, take what uh, circumstances have given them and let your kingdom expand even further into India while they're there. But also bring them back home soon. We miss them. We love you, Jesus. In his name, amen. 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 amen.